0: take the red
1: pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Red.
0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 18 of the Life in Red podcast. Uh, Special guest today, I guess they're all special, Uh, but my new friend, Laura Van Zant. Did I say that right? Please tell me because I was saying it in my head (laughs) and I was trying to like nail it.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. Your yes! <laughs> okay, good.
0: Uh, welcome. Uh, thanks Hi. for coming in because uh, like one of the few I've had, uh, we've never met before really in person mm-hmm. before. So this is a completely organic meeting, which uh, <laughs> should be very interesting. Uh, Laura, yes. you work in museums. Yes, I a, do. For a living, I guess you could say. Um, you're studying museum studies. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you want to get into museums? Because that is often not seen as like a millennial thing to do.
1: No, it really isn't. <laughs> um, I like to credit my parents with this one, honestly. They took us to all the museums and historic sites in the province and through, throughout Canada every summer we do long camping trips. And my mom actually told me this story the other day about going to Green Gables House in PEI. We did the whole Anne of Green Gables tour and we walked around. And when we walked out, I turned to my mom and I said, I want to work here someday. And apparently that's where it started. I was about seven. Mm. But I have honestly always known that I wanted to work in museums. It's always been a passion of mine. And I I just love museums. I couldn't imagine working somewhere else.
0: How do you... So you probably still visit a lot yourself on your own time, not just professionally.
1: Yeah, as much as I can.
0: Do you get those like season passes?
1: Um, Through the Algonquin program, actually, we get an OMA and CMA membership. So mm-hmm. Ontario Museum Association and Canadian Museum Association. So I use those passes a lot um, this summer in um, Alberta and BC. And then I've used the Ontario one throughout kind of the province. I'll just mm-hmm. like sometimes pull over when I'm driving because I'm, Sick of driving and go to the nearest museum.
0: Oh, interesting. That's yeah. a that's a little thing. So like hardcore into the museums, which is a Love good it. thing. Yeah, don't want to make it sound like that's a bad thing. <laughs> um, so let's un- unpack this a little bit. So yeah. what is it about? What is it about museums? Because museums is not just like a general thing. Like each museum everywhere, it kind of offers its own yeah experience, whether big or small. So what is it about them that like are such a draw to you?
1: So. For me, small museums especially really get us in touch with who we are and where we come from as individuals and communities and, I mean, as a nation as well. So in going to a museum, it's really this hub of learning and togetherness, and sometimes museums aren't opposed to tackling sort of topics that are harder for people to think about as well. Um, The Museum of History is a really good example of that in their Canadian history Um, Exhibit. There's a lot to look at there. And some of it isn't always the pretty side of history. So I appreciate that in museums. And I'm just a big history nerd through and through. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm going to go in and see everything I can. But museums as well bring community members together because they do events where members of the public can come. And often those events are free or um, for... Children and their parents to spend the day together and spend their time with other members of the community, Um, and I like that as well. It's Mm -hmm. a big community hub.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important, uh, like, thing to to highlight. Is not only like you know, there's you can learn so much and they tell great stories, but it's Mm -hmm. it's teaching each generation that's that's coming through that of these stories and like not forgetting them because there's so many that are told that are not just things, you know, like that will be on the Netflix documentary. There, there's a lot of like important things that happen that maybe m- mainstream media or or that aren't like the sexy stories that people yeah. are like going to make a Brad Pitt film for like exactly. two hours, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, like are there some in particular? So like Anne and Green Gables, like you're like, I want to work here. Like are there any like stories in particular that really like, still stand out to you to this day that you know we're putting you right on the spot rack your brain here but you know um for me it it sounds silly but i always go back to the dinosaur um that's always the first place i always check out yeah that's because i have such a a strong fascination with not necessarily like human like I, i love human history but how the world transitioned from these giant Reptile-like yeah. beasts into all of a sudden where we are now, and I know you know some people don't necessarily believe in that, but um, like to me, it's like it's so fascinating trying to like wrap my my head around it. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So that's like that's a big one for me. I know, um, and uh, of course Ooh. you know like the Anne Frank Museum. Like I, I want to go there. Yeah, so I badly. love World War Two history. Yes, and uh, like like that one, it, very sombering, and you know you're just like. Damn, like just yeah this happened here right like you're you're sitting there and you're like oh my god
1: yeah um the one that always stands out to me when somebody asks like what's the best thing you've seen is i actually worked on an exhibit the first museum i worked at and it was about women who had made a difference in the county that i'd grown up in hmm. and it went from women who just You know their husbands died and they had all these kids and they made it work and they were so strong to um, suffragettes who lived in Dufferin and did all these amazing things and that exhibit stood out to me because it highlighted so many different women from different walks of life and all the different things they could do that were all important but maybe some of them wouldn't have gotten highlighted before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the response to that exhibit was really positive and people really loved it and I'm always for the exhibits on things like suffragettes and um, the traditionally less talked about things in museums because if you go back not that long ago, museums were mostly institutions where rich people or intellectuals went and they spent their days quietly walking around Mm -hmm. and reading all the signs. And now they're transitioning out of that into, like you were saying, the less sexy kind of... Gritty topics and they're trying to get more people to come in and appeal to more people. So any exhibit that does that and is also like really, really well done always stands Mm -hmm. out to me. So, yeah,
0: I went and saw one a couple months ago um, and it was uh, celebrating um, like the pioneers of women in science. Yes. And like so here's me like I find science like extremely fascinating, but Mm -hmm. like it doesn't compute in my brain that I I can understand (laughs) it like wholeheartedly. So, you know, like I love like astrophysics and I love learning about all this stuff for the dinosaurs and it's it's all great. But like truly and honestly, like to actually go really deep into what makes science, I'm like, "Eh, well, you know what? I just I I want the highlights. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I went to this exhibit and it was the women and like and I'm totally wrong and I should look it up. But like the first one, like big one was like 1950. Mm -hmm. So we have all these years of like scientific discoveries and, like, really, women only started to be highlight within the yeah. last 100 years. And I had no clue. Yeah. I would never have had a clue if it was not for a museum. So um, it was like, it was mind blowing to me. I'm like, what?
1: what? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, museums are great because they teach you, right? Yeah. You walk in and you inevitably learn something new, even if it's not exactly what you expected to learn. I've been to exhibits where I thought, you know, I'll walk through this, but I know this information already. And, that never happens. Mm-hmm. I always learn something new. So,
0: um, do you have any experience curating at all, or is that yeah. something you hope to be? Okay, so first, because I'm dumb and I don't even know, like, <laughs> I'm not. I don't even know the official, like, what is a curator? Because a lot of people, I don't think, even understand what a curator is for a museum.
1: So that actually depends on the size of the institution, um, because your larger. National museums, especially, a curator is a really highly specialized position. They're people who often have um, masters or PhDs in a specific topic, and they're very specialized. So like the Museum of Nature, for example, might have a curator of uh, zoology. Mm -hmm. So they've got very specific sections in the smaller institutions I've worked at, the curator is like the person who runs the place. They mm. plan all the exhibits. They deal with research questions. They're, um, giving tours and things like that. So it kind of depends on, okay on where you are, but a curator could be, you know, the single employee who runs everything, or it could be a person who oversees a hierarchy of people within the museum. Um, but either way, they do a lot of work.
0: Okay, <laughs> so, so now, much work. Now that we all got that, the curator, <laughs> um, what goes into you know some of their job and like planning out like what the exhibit's going to l- look like and and what how it's going to tell the story. Like, what are some of the factors that you go over? Is it like a team meeting or like is it like one person or is it like a long process of trying to pull it all together. You know what I mean?
1: Um, in my experience, it's definitely a long process and there's definitely a lot of teamwork. I don't think any curator independently decides all of the exhibits that they're going to do, all of the artifacts that are going to go into it, all of the text panels and just like does it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of curators will have to go through processes where they're planning these exhibits for years. Um, I know a former co-worker of mine would do all of the exhibits three years in advance so that they could plan their funding accordingly. Mm. So in three years, they might be doing an exhibit on, you know, whatever topic, but they need to start planning for the funding now. So there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into it. And then it's a continual process kind of as exhibits go in and out. Um, You're planning and you're picking your artifacts and you're writing the text panels. And if anything needs to be done to the artifacts to make them um, acceptable for display, that has to be done ahead of time. And then in the end, it turns into, you know, a week or two of installation where everything's just really high energy, go, go, go. And then you have your beautiful exhibit at the end. Mm -hmm. But like, it's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Um, So you're saying planning out, um, you know, the funding and stuff. Mm -hmm. Most museums, if I'm not mistaken, are nationally funded or or is there kind of... Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) So yes and no. That's me being
0: in a big city. I got to...
1: Well, the national museums are obviously funded okay, by the makes sense, yes. By the federal government, um, a lot of them. That being said, they can sometimes get outside funding or private donations. Um, smaller museums will rely on provincial and federal funding as well, but they have to meet certain criteria in order to get it. So every year they have to not reapply, um, but they resubmit information about the institution and their visitor numbers and things like that in order to receive the funding again Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true for everywhere it's something that I know in my experience has is something that they do and we've talked about it in our classes as well Um, so if anybody doesn't do that don't yell at me (laughs) but (laughs) it seems to be that and then other um, sources of funding can come from local communities or counties regions that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. often it's Okay, you fill out this lengthy application, and you do every single thing right, and you still might not get the funding, so Mm. you can't, you can't rely on it, and it's just, you're constantly applying. Um, My former boss and I were talking the other day, and she's got, I think, five grant applications due um, between March 1st and March 2nd, so, and she might not get all of them, but she has to apply.
0: Yeah, keep the doors open. Exactly. that led me, I just wanted to get, like, a little bit of context, because, I'm wondering as, like, a society and as a culture, because I think mm-hmm. there's a, a, log, a large section of the population that I don't think, one, makes arts and culture a priority, but yeah. two, you know, museums. Like, are we doing enough as a society? I think I would know your answer. But I, <laughs> in your opinion, you know, are we doing enough to nurture the 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 reason we have museums in the first place? Yeah. Or is it, like pretty tight, or is it, like you know, like pretty tight budget, red line, dots, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: second one. Um I got yelled at this, about, at, about this in a class recently, actually, because I don't think necessarily we value arts and culture as much as we should. And I'm super biased. I'm into museums. I always have been. But I think collectively we need to realize that museums are a safe haven for all of our cultural history. And I think we need to value that because... Without museums, that's gone, and then you can't see where you came from. And I personally believe that being able to see where we came from, how we've developed, and where we can still improve is really important. Mm -hmm. And museums are fantastic for highlighting that because you can see the objects. You can sometimes touch the objects. Mm -hmm. You're not just having information, you know, talked at you, or you're not just reading it. You're really seeing it and seeing the tangible um, artifacts. So...
0: I mean, you know, I don't know how much these, like, qualify as museums. I could be wrong, but if you look at, like, you know, the Great Pyramids of Egypt or yeah. or uh, Pompeii or, like, these truly, like, ancient things that happened in our history, mm-hmm. you know, like... Are, th- are they museums? Before I keep going, are they, like, they're, sites? They're
1: they're sites, but okay. it depends on the... Inst- um, sorry, not the institution, the uh, government, I guess. Like, In Canada, we have all these national museums, but we also have the Parks Canada system, which oversees the sites. So our sites are taken care of and our museums are taken care of, but just by separate institutions. Gotcha. But they kind of work together. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the sites are important and they're taken care of. Because they're
0: like doing digs or whatever from there to get artifacts probably for a museum elsewhere.
1: And they take the sites... Um, Green Gables house for example and they have it set up just like it would have been with Lucy Maud Montgomery but they also incorporate the end of Green Gables story mm. and um, yeah so that site interprets the history as well there are a lot of sites that interpret the history um, Cave and Basin National Park actually is a really good example it's the first national park in uh, Canada it was the first one incorporated into the park system and if you go through the original building from when it was still like a hot springs slash spa is still there and they've got exhibits, but they've also got the original sulfur Springs as well. Hmm. So they're really taking care of that site and interpreting the history.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I get to my point though, was being there, seeing Mm -hmm. the salt spring, like you're, you're, it's a tangible thing. Like you said, you're not dissecting information just from reading it or a video. Like you're there and you're like, whoa, like I was talking about Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, because it's funny, you, you people really get separated on whether arts and culture matters. Because a lot of people would say an arts degree is completely useless. I think maybe in the job economy you could make that argument. It's not, yeah. not exactly financially viable sometimes, which happens.
1: I have a degree in history. I got asked if I'm going to be a teacher <clears throat> or unemployed. <laughs> like...
0: Yeah, right. Like, what do you what do you do with that? Almost like you you go back into the system and pursue academia for more research yeah. and type things.
1: Or you've got to be really creative with selling yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but it like studies have shown, like I don't have the numbers, but like when you involve children or adults in, in music mm-hmm. in in museums and art and visual art or what I have you, like it makes a significant like impact on the way that your brain develops yeah. and like, I, we just don't talk about it enough, I don't think, because we're so worried about money and the economy yeah. and, and you know p- politics and social commentary on threads and Facebook stories. You know <laughs> what I mean? But like, yep. going to the museum is such a wholesome experience, especially for a child. Yeah, you were seven years old. All of a sudden, you're like, this is like the sparks came off, yeah, exactly. And now it's put a, a, a lifelong passion. And I don't, I honestly, I mean. I don't understand why people don't. I don't. Yeah. That's, again, I'm not even that biased. Like, I mean, I don't like <laughs> the museums. I just like them. Um. So that's interesting. History degree. Yeah, like history that. and
1: archaeology, actually. It's... Oh!
0: That's, like, the... Honestly, like, that's, to me, one of, like, the coolest combos.
1: Oh, yeah. It was, like, I went in originally just for history, but then I was thinking, like, well, maybe I'll do, like, English or something else. And the history degree was fantastic, and then I took an archaeology elective in first year because I could and immediately was like, oh, I have to do this, too. Yeah. So I knew history was my my passion and the archaeology just like really fit in with it. And thankfully, I was able to do that.
0: Did you get to go on any digs?
1: I did, actually. Oh, cool. Um, do you want me to tell you about yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, okay. I would love for you
0: to tell me about it.
1: It was um, just a domestic one. So okay. we went to Midland um. Ontario and there's a site there um, it's a bush lot now but it has um, First Nations connections there was a huge community there and they think that Samuel de Champlain maybe interacted Mm. with the people at that site so I went the second year I think second or third year that they dug there Um, and I mean it was just a fantastic experience we didn't necessarily find a lot but we stayed at, like, cabin, uh, kids camp in cabins in the woods, and we all had a fantastic time, learned a lot. And I think I would do another dig, but, like, maybe not during prime mosquito season.
0: Yeah, especially <laughs> digging in Canada, eh? Like, it's either yeah. you can't dig in the winter, so you only get... Y-
1: you would be surprised how many people try to dig in the winter. Really? Yeah, my friend was doing oh. um, pit surveying up until, like, late November this year.
0: I mean, maybe if you're like digging in the Arctic or like, no, in oh, yeah. Canada, but like down here, just wait till summer.
1: Yeah, there's like a very short <laughs> window between mosquitoes and frost. Yeah, so. no, that's true. <laughs>
0: um, my uncle and I don't get to talk to him enough, but mm-hmm. he he's a archaeologist. Okay. Um, I, he's going for his PhD or he has it. Um, nice. But I remember him telling me a story. He was down in South America, on a dig, and um, he was being stalked by. Uh, like a leopard or whatever's down there, oh a jaguar or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he was in the washroom or something down there. I think it was uh, Bolivia. I'm butchering like the actual facts of the story <laughs> other than the fact that when he came out of this like washroom, the the jaguar panther was up on the roof of it and it was like stalking him.
1: Oh, that's and my nightmare. Obviously he
0: made it, but... Um,
1: yeah, archaeologists do some cool things and some unexpected things.
0: Yeah, and they're not just, you know, what is it, Jurassic Park... I mean, yeah, everyone thinks archaeology, archaeologist. You're it's a paleontologist, I think. It's you know, I think there's me crazy, yeah. I think, a little, but because, right, like everyone yeah, no. just saw Jurassic Park, and like, oh, yeah, archaeologist, I totally know what that's either that about. or
1: it's Indiana Jones. And he, he mm. wasn't an archaeologist, he just stole things.
0: <laughs> Ooh, we're throwing some hot take, yeah, hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones was not a good person, um. That's interesting. So, history then. I know I'm yep. getting... I'm going to come back to museums. Yeah, no, Don't worry about it. Because I love history. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, like, a concentration or anything in there that you...
1: Uh, Funny story. I specialized in uh, Holocaust and World War II history up until my fourth year of university when I couldn't take it anymore. And I switched and did my fourth year seminars on the Renaissance.
0: Wow. That's quite a different yeah. thing.
1: Surprisingly, it was okay. But I didn't fail.
0: you... So, but uh, world—that's like my favorite history. Mm-hmm. Um, just be—I never like got. Every a, class. Yeah, like I just—I <laughs> never got to talk to my great grandfather who was involved in the war, and, mm-hmm. and when I became interested in it, it was much older. Um, so I think a lot of our generation might not get those stories, which again is why museums are important. Yes. <laughs> um, wh- I don't even know like where to start with the questions on World War II but I've always wanted to have someone who loved World War II uh, and talk about it.
1: I can try to answer your question. I don't know if
0: I have specific questions. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you been to Poland or anything that's out there?
1: No. I go to as many exhibits in Canada as I can. But what do we I have in Canada? We,
0: to... ha- well, we have the War Museum. Yes. We have a, we have a Holocaust uh, memorial now. That's we not also
1: have a Holocaust museum in uh, uh, Montreal. And I went there last year, and okay. it is so well done. It is very moving. Um, I highly recommend yeah. if you get if you can get to Montreal.
0: Okay, there you go. Now we're learning stuff in Montreal. Um, there's a video I watched once mm-hmm. on, and I don't know if it touched in this museum. Hopefully, it did, but it was on Facebook. You know those videos that pop yep. through. But it was um it was a Holocaust survivor, and she was talking about. Uh, I think she was a twin. Um, okay, and she got was experimented on by that doctor, Ugh, yes. um, who experimented on everyone, and I guess there was a a guard who she'd see a lot. Mm-hmm. And, anyways, long story short, got through. I should repost this on the on the Life in Red Facebook page and stuff. But, um, found out who the doctor was through a, a trial or something, and yeah. like they got together and they, uh, talked about it mm-hmm. in person. And then um, he actually, like, officially apologized to her on... It was on a memorial, I think, 100 years or... Not 100 years, 50 years maybe mm-hmm. or something. Um, was there a lot of those... Like, what were the stories like going through there? Or the stuff that you learned? Because yeah. there are still people who don't believe that it happened. Uh, okay. <laughs> her eyes twitching. It, <laughs> yes. Um, You know, and that's a, that's a big thing now that's even coming back.
1: Yeah. And especially I think, in Europe. I think that's why I was so interested in the holocaust and world war ii history in university because it's completely unfathomable unfathomable to me that people deny it happened and it's part of our history that affected everybody i don't know if you saw um library and archives canada actually posted that they'd recently acquired a book and i cannot remember what the title is but it's basically like a nazi book about um jewish life in canada And so to say that that part of our history is limited to, you know, our soldiers went off and they fought and some of them didn't come back is a complete misrepresentation of our history. Mm -hmm. So we have to talk about more than that. I mean, there were boatloads of Jewish people trying to get into Canada. and we denied them, eh? Yeah, no, they denied that boat. They turned them back. So I think that's what drew me to that topic is there's so much to unpack. There's so much to talk about. And we need to still talk about it because we cannot forget that that happened. Yeah. So that's my interest. Yeah. There.
0: Um, I know. I mean, you see it everywhere. Like the far right movements are kind of, I guess, with the rise of social media and the the platforms that's been given. But I, I remember reading a story that like Nazism in, in Germany and um, surrounding countries are, are making like a comeback. Um, like they're having marches. Um. I know there was the one in Charlotte like not like but there's a far right movement in Charlottesville mm-hmm. uh, in the states but like yeah you know people actually believe this stuff didn't happen and they still have these views
1: yeah and i think part of the rise of the far left and nazism in the US at least is because they weren't necessarily part of it at the time like they weren't sending their citizens to concentration camps. And in Europe they talk about it more and they've preserved the camps as testaments to what they did to remind them that this can't happen again. Hmm. And in the US at least it's easy for them to do whatever they're doing. They're Yeah, well they didn't I don't even, even know what they're doing too anymore. Much later.
0: Like and and history's perspective they didn't even come in like all that was happening and there was rumors about it and they still didn't enter until they were attacked yeah and i mean until
1: until they started actually liberating the camps people just some of them genuinely didn't know what was going on and a lot of people just didn't believe it because it's so out of the realm of possibility at that Mm -hmm. time so yeah, right.
0: I f- I feel <laughs> I feel compelled to watch those documentaries as hard as it is. Oh, absolutely! Um, just to get an understanding of what truly happened. And I remember yeah. there was a um, a documentary, forgot the name, on Netflix, and um, it was basically it was like a kind of like a a redone, but it was like about a documentary that was supposed to be released okay. after the liberations mm-hmm. that. The government's denied releasing because it was too horrible to release to the general public. And
1: I mean, it is awful yeah. to look at. Yeah, so they
0: held it back mm-hmm. until very recently. Yeah, and then you like it. It came out, and um, there was uh, like they were showing the original footage of the liberations and like the the shoe, like the shoe library, oh. um, where like yeah. they put all the shoes and like there was the the teeth, and they had big bags of teeth.
1: The one that always gets me is the huge crates of people's wedding rings. Like, what a personal... I mean, not that teeth aren't, but what a personal thing to take from someone to, like, really make them forget who they are and dehumanize them. Like, you're taking everything from someone. Yeah.
0: And, uh... Yeah, I just... I feel compelled to watch them, like, as much as I can every time there's one that comes out just to gain an understanding. And this ties back into what's important about museums is if you if you never knew that happened, like, you're almost doomed to repeat it. Oh, absolutely. You you know, you can see the warning signs of, you know, okay, study the history of how did Hitler get to where he, where he got to? Mm -hmm. What are the parallels? How are, is someone, you know, like Trump, I'm not going to compare him to Hitler, but, like, the same sort of empowering tactics that he used to at least get to power.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at history, there are so many cycles of effectively repeating itself on a slightly different scale i mean people emperors overtaking each other in rome ties into kings overtaking each other in the medieval ages Mm -hmm. which ties into you know presidents or prime ministers being overtaken by whoever like it is constantly happening it's just the things that are huge and awful we really need to be conscious of not repeating those cycles
0: yeah yeah no you're right it's it, it has been i mean i remember um reading up on how uh spain i think um went through like kind of i, I can't remember the country but like from mexico down into south america mm. and basically just like wiped yeah. out everything through there yeah which is funny enough why a lot of it has a spanish um influence to it yeah to the to their cultures now it's interesting So getting back to museums, (laughs) would working for a history museum like kind of be like the dream or is like you've kind of like just open to everything?
1: I'm open to pretty much anything, especially if I get like an experience I haven't got yet, because I've only I've been doing this Algonquin program and I've only been in museums for. I think my first museum job was like 2016. So and that's not all the time, right? Like I'm in school and then I work Mm -hmm. in the summer. So I have a lot to learn, of course. I think personally my dream is to end up in those smaller community museums where there's all Mm. sorts of little pieces of history to pick from because every – I mean if we're going to talk about the World Wars, every community was impacted by that. So you can do exhibits on that. You can do exhibits on notable people or specific events that really impacted your community that maybe not everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of where I'd like to end up in uh, collections – at those institutions or you know one day maybe a curator fingers crossed Mm -hmm. it's kind of the 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 curator's like
0: the big yeah exactly okay i
1: want to come up with the exhibits i want to be involved in everything i want to have my fingers in every every pot
0: um you've brought up collections a few times now so that's what you're doing now
1: yes so collections management um is what i have my titles have kind of been in the past and it's Basically working directly with the artifacts, storage, care, handling, um, pulling things out for exhibits, that kind of thing. So I don't plan the exhibits, but the artifacts that end up on display, I might have had some hand in maybe choosing them or helping put them on display, that kind of thing.
0: Okay. So, I mean, in my mind, there's kind of like a, a two-part to this. So there's the maintenance, the care, mm-hmm. the, um, you know... Proper storage. Yeah, is there also kind of an avenue of like really kind of maybe understanding that artifact or like forming like a maybe a personal connection or something with it? Like, do you yeah. like? But if you're around it, right, and you like think about what this object means or what it did or yeah. anything like that, like, is there kind of that avenue too, or is it mostly just like taking care of it?
1: Um, definitely both. I've been yeah, really okay. lucky that I've done some really cool research projects in the past. On specific artifacts. So the one that stands out to me was, um, and for the life of me, I'm not going to remember if it was a mastodon or a mammoth, but basically there was a rib bone in the collection that I was working in and they said, we need to figure out what this is. We need to know kind of where it came from and its history. Have fun. Mm. So I spent two weeks researching this and I found so much information. I figured out that, you know, I think it was labeled as mastodon and it was actually mammoth, which was cool to me. I'm, I'm a nerd. But I found out that and then I found it out, you know, this is where it came from and this is the guy who found it. And then when he lost all his money, the rest of the skeleton ended up in a museum in South Dakota, like
0: mm. all
1: these really cool avenues. So that is an artifact that I have a personal connection to. Absolutely. And then there are some things that, you know, came into a collection and I accessioned them, which is when you take an object that's been donated and you put it into the collection. And I haven't thought about it since, but... Mm-hmm doing the research on some things, you find these really cool avenues. So,
0: so what were some of the things that you found to distinguish it between a mammoth and a mastodon? First, oh. what's the difference between a mastodon and a mammoth?
1: This was a long time. This was like two years ago. Okay. Uh, the one that stands out to me is their teeth. I know their teeth are different, and I actually did the identification based on the history and two photos of the gentleman... He'd actually collected one of each, I think is how it worked, or he had collected the, I think it was a mastodon. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I used a photo, and in the photo there's the piece that I was analyzing and a bunch of teeth from the same specimen. And assuming that they came from the same place and he didn't just piece them together, they had to come from the same animal and that's how i kind of came to my conclusion but i ended up on i think it was the university of michigan's website and they had all of the bones and teeth you could get from mastodons and mammoths so that people could go online and compare them like oh. it was this is really weird avenue i took for a couple weeks
0: it's like going through like a youtube black hole but like oh my god that's exactly research what it black was hole, where you're just like, oh yeah like get yep. sucked in and all of a sudden you're like four hours later like Whoa. and i
1: don't think i could find that website now if i tried I really don't. I just I ended up there and I printed off all the pictures so that I could prove what I was talking about.
0: But (laughs) do uh, museums have like databases or like do you have to Google like everybody else?
1: um, Museums have databases for their artifacts. So say I go into something and it's like, okay, so this is the person who donated it. This is when they donated it. This is the research that we've done on it or often no research done. Um, And sort of the We call it the provenance, but it's basically the history of the object. So you know that this is where it came from. It hasn't been stolen. Mm -hmm. That's a big one right now. Um, And then each museum uses a different database system. So I've worked a lot with um, one called Past Perfect, which is really popular in smaller institutions. Um, I think some larger ones use it as well. Some museums have their own database that's been built for them. Um, There's tons of ones that also have online connections so you can do your stuff on your computer and then publish it online so other people can see your collection. Um, And then a lot of it boils down to, okay, you have an artifact, you know who it came from and you know kind of what it was used for. Now go into the black hole of the internet and find out more about it. So find out the manufacturer, find out what this stamp on it means, that kind of thing.
0: Interesting. So there you are, this massive rib bone. Mm hmm What do you do to take care of that? Like, what goes into that? Pro- especially a fossil. Like, I'm sure there's yeah. different processes for, you know, what, what, if it's a ancient cup or, like, a um, shark tooth or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, when you're trying to take care of this, like, super old fossil, mm-hmm. what do you have to do to make sure you preserve that?
1: So, every artifact is special and requires its own kind of care and handling. And you can kind of group things into broad categories. So, like... Textiles, for example, need really specific care, but something like a fossil or um, other types of rocks and lithics or ceramics, they don't require as much. They don't require the same strict guidelines. They have their own guidelines. Um, Generally, most institutions will have a storage area that is kept at the correct level of temperature and relative humidity so that artifacts aren't um, in flux and they're not you know too hot or too cold or too wet or too dry Mm -hmm. and for the most part you can make a collection storage area that works for most of your artifacts most of the time Um, and then the goal is just to avoid having you know a breakdown of your system where all of a sudden the temperature spikes. Some artifacts need specific um, care so rubber for example is often kept in cold storage Mm. because it just keeps the rubber from degrading. Um, Yeah, things like that, Uh, furs. What else? Any, like, old medicine bottles, which are in every collection. Everyone has them. They usually have stuff in them. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever worked somewhere where there wasn't an old bottle filled (laughs) with something, and they just keep it sealed and on a shelf.
0: That's interesting. People just leave bottles of medicine lying around all the time? There was,
1: <laughs> yeah, like this summer I opened a drawer and there was a bottle, like a full glass bottle of vanilla extract from about the 1930s. And it's like, where did this come from? Why is this here? Oh,
0: wow. But you
1: have just you, keep it sealed.
0: Have you ever found, like, ancient wine? Like really good like, oh, old of wine? Oh, I haven't, but
1: that'd be nice. I've s- found old bottles that have been
0: emptied. Oh. But that doesn't count. So, yeah, it's supposed to get better with age. it would be a cool thing to, like... Come across, eh? Although um, at a
1: certain point, like it'd be vinegar, it'd be so gross.
0: I guess that's true. Wow, way to crush my hopes and dreams. I'm just saying,
1: <laughs> if you find wine in a collection don't because you're there sometime, don't, don't drink just it. Don't drink just don't, drink don't do it.
0: it. <laughs> um. Okay. Interesting. So, what? Well, I'm, I'm probably missing a whole bunch of steps too, because museums have big museums have like research. Oh, yeah. Right? Is that the curator? Am I mixing them no. up? Oh, no, so they have, like, really large institutions
1: people. will have a team of researchers. And those researchers might work for a curator. They might be their own department. And then you have collections care specialists who tend to work. Structures are always different, but, like, in general, I guess you could say they will work under the curator. The curator will be their, their boss, and they'll report to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's collections care specialists researchers curators you've got educational programmers so they're doing all of those camps and kids programs and specialty event nights often if there's some tie-in to museum content you've got an educational programmer there they don't just do things for kids Mm -hmm. Um, you've got directors you've got managers hr people and i mean it just depends on the size of the Mm -hmm. institution again how many of those people you have one person one person who's a curator at a small museum might also be the manager and the collections assistant and the archivist, like mm-hmm. all of these things. Yeah, yeah.
0: This, yeah. Um, what are some of, like, the best museums that there, that you've been to or that, oh, like, God. most, like, well-known? You could say, mo- like, you know, the Smithsonian or the, what is it, the um, one in New York City. Anyway. The,
1: the Met is on my list. I have not been there. The Met, yeah. Don't kill me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, or maybe it's like a small one, like a hidden gem.
1: Okay. So, Give
0: some people personal some bias to go see in the summertime yes. when it's nice and look for stuff to do.
1: Personal bias. Go to the Revelstoke Museum and Archives. They're amazing. I worked there last summer. Oh, They're in BC. That?
0: BC. Yeah. Oh, cool.
1: It's just a little small town museum. The town actually has three museums. There's... The one I worked at, a rail museum and a forestry museum. So you can get a three for one there. Um, but aside from my personal motives, um, I went to Cave and Basin uh, this summer for the first time. And it was amazing. It's not just, it's a, a historic site, but it's got exhibits and um, museum-like content. Um, that was just, that was such a good experience. Um Oh, and actually, so that's in Banff, and Banff also has a taxidermy museum, which is like the one of the older museum museums in Banff. It might be the oldest museum in Banff, I just don't want to get my facts wrong, but basically it's the old style, all the old taxidermy, like it's kind of come in from everywhere, and I know for a while they were considering shutting it down and trying to make it more modern, but I love that they've kind of left it as like this testament to the old ways of doing things and... They talk about in their panels, you know, we don't do this anymore. We don't go out and collect specimens like this and then stuff them and put them on display. Mm. But it's a really cool
0: place to be in. Is it like a history of the thing of taxidermy or is it just like a bunch of like...
1: Oh, there's so much in that, in their exhibits. Like it's all of the animals that you can find within Banff and Jasper, but also in BC and Alberta. And then it talks about the people who were important and the scientists who collected the specimens and who ran the museum. Like they had a curator um, for a really long time, actually, who wasn't necessarily in the museum. He was always out collecting specimens and observing behavior behaviors. Um, so they talk about the people and then they talk about, of course, the history of the museum and of the site and how practices have changed. They're just, they're really good about displaying their information um, and getting like a really wide scope.
0: hmm okay
1: and then in ottawa i love all of them i haven't been to science and tech yet but i like
0: you've been as like a kid though right
1: honestly i don't think i've been to science and tech um i know i don't think it was incorporated yet when i was little and my parents took us into ottawa and i know as a kid we did history um, nature and the war museum like in a single day so i don't think i've I don't think I've ever been to science and tech, but okay. definitely not as an adult. Definitely, a,
0: it's it's a good one. Yeah, I'm um, classic. The trains. Um, for those that are like not in Ottawa, like extremely lucky that as being the capital of Canada, like oh, we yeah. have some of the finest museums. I would say in the world, to be honest. Absolutely. Like, um, they're incredible, and I can go in multiple times and learn something new or. Yeah. See a special exhibit or like it never gets old, uh, and especially the, the War thing. Museum because I, I love that stuff.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing about museums. People think they're really static and everything is the same all the time, but they're constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, you could go in every three to four months and there's going to be at least one exhibit that's changed and artifacts get switched out all the time because you can't have something on display for, you know, if there's an exhibit that's there for five years. You can't have everything on display for five years. So they're always changing. And I think people don't really realize that about museums, mm-hmm. especially if you don't go very often.
0: Hmm. Um, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm just <laughs> curious. Is there, like, what's, you know, as a, a young woman trying to break into this field that I don't know if it, to me... As an outsider not involved, <laughs> it would seem to me like there's kind of like um a prestigious factor of working in a museum, you know what I mean? Like a yeah. very kind of like pretentious like I work for a museum. Yeah. I'm not saying people are snooty or anything. No, but I just understand like what you're saying though. Very like is that a what's it like being a young woman trying to go into this very kind of sophisticated industry? Is it you know, is there a lot of Um, openings for diversity and and lots of different backgrounds getting into it or is it still kind of going through an evolving process um, like a lot of other industries?
1: That's hard to say because I have limited experience but I would say that museums are actively trying to get away from this stuffy uptight kind of reputation that Mm -hmm. they've definitely had and it's really hard to break out of a reputation once you've had it and museums have been around for hundreds of years and you know in the last few decades really they've started to diversify Mm -hmm. and make themselves more accessible to people of all walks of life in trying to get into the museum field the hardest part is just getting into it honestly it I haven't experienced anything specific to me I mean in a lot of ways I'm a very privileged person so I wouldn't expect to have a lot of obstacles Mm -hmm. based on you know my physical appearance, appearance, or anything like that, um, but there definitely is a lot of there's a lot of struggle to get into this field as a job because there aren't a lot of jobs, and there are a, there's a surprising amount of people trying to get into really nice. the museum field. Huh. Well, like I said, I'm a history major, and a lot yeah. of the people I know. If they weren't going on to either get a master's degree or get their teaching degree, they were planning on coming into Heritage. And trying to get into the museum field with just a history degree, I didn't want to try that because I didn't think that I would get a job. But even going into the museum studies program first, it's still going to be difficult. So I don't know if I just answered your question yeah, or not. Did. I think I went on a weird tangent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. It, uh, I was going to say, it, it is, it, I can't believe it's competitive. I mean again being outside of people trying to get in like to me like it almost seemed like I mean you're the second person I've met that is actually interested in trying to get into mm-hmm. working at a museum um, it doesn't yeah. like it's not very common and again arts degrees are sort of in a way frowned upon a lot now I think in today's society yeah. um, which again is unfortunate but that's just where people are putting their priorities in certain cases. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, and the other thing with museums is in Ottawa, it's really hard to get a job um, because it is very competitive. Everybody comes here if they want to get into the field because there's so many museums to pick from. But then the national institutions, you know, you have to be bilingual. Um, mm. If you want to be in the higher positions, you should probably have a master's degree. And, You know, my post-grad college diploma might not necessarily cut it when it comes to someone who's got a master's from U of T, for example, competing for the same job. So Ottawa is really difficult to get into, but if you're willing to travel and go somewhere else and maybe take a less glamorous job, you can find them. It's just, it might not be exactly what you dreamed of it being, especially at this point in my career. There's no way I'm going to get... A great job right out of college with the Museum of History, mm-hmm. but I have uh, friends and coworkers who have taken some really cool jobs. You know, in the middle of Saskatchewan, and
0: mm-hmm. the job
1: wasn't wasn't sexy, but it was a great job, and it's got them where they are now. Yeah, and they're moving up. That so.
0: experience, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, I had a great question right over my head. Totally lost it. Um, Oh, going back just a a little bit on it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you're saying that the sites are kind of a different branch of government, whereas um, museums are a, a different branch of people who kind of oversee it, but they kind of work together. Yeah. So my,
1: It's like museums yeah. and then museum-like institutions where they do similar things, but just they cater. One is, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Anyway, I hope that made sense. Like- yeah.
0: Um, do you have an opinion on, and I'm this isn't the question, but just to get a, a, a preface on it, on the environment and climate change. Oh. Because I'm wondering, are we experiencing that in our sites and yes. our digs and our, obviously our our parks? Like we know the environment is changing. At least most people know. Mm-hmm. But like. Now, putting it into a, a context of what that actually means beyond change in our weather, yeah, uh, and where we live, but dig sites and and historical sites and artifacts must be in jeopardy too with some of these changes.
1: Absolutely, and you've actually caught me like a couple weeks too early because I'm hoping to go to it's like no. a lunch seminar where I'll like really learn about this mm. stuff. But there are definitely there are definitely concerns in museums and among archaeologists and people who take care of historic sites now that you know I've heard about and I've seen people talk about I don't think anybody is unaware that PEI is eroding as an island.
0: Is that right? Yeah. I I didn't know. Oh sorry.
1: (laughs) So PEI is in jeopardy and there are lots of sites on the island and I mean they're also a huge site of agriculture so Eventually, if you know we're not careful, PEI may no longer be there or it might be underwater. Well, what do we do with those sites? What do yeah. we do with those artifacts? How do we preserve them and do we preserve them so that, you know, in two hundred years when it's no longer there, we still talk about the heritage.
0: Well now there's gonna need a museum for PEI apparently. <laughs> Maybe someday.
1: <laughs> and then with with Temperatures changing, that brings in a whole host of problems when it comes to storage facilities and care of collections. Because if your outside temperatures are fluctuating wildly, or if you're dealing with higher temperatures that you weren't experiencing before, you really have to adapt your storage facilities so that you are keeping your artifacts in that environment that keeps them safe, no matter what the outside environment is doing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you go up into the permafrost that is melting. And you have to work to recover artifacts up there. I mean, there are lots of um, textiles and organic specimens up there that archaeologists would find, and they'd be frozen. So you keep them frozen, and you bring them back, and you treat them carefully when you do bring them back, and you can study them. We're going to lose that Mm -hmm. if we can't get there in time. And, I mean, archaeology on a massive scale is pretty much impossible, and... We're gonna we're gonna lose that um, after the wildfires in Alberta two years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but it uncovered a whole bunch of archaeological sites. Oh, so they sent in teams of archaeologists to, I think it was effectively rescue archaeology, but basically study as much as you can before the vegetation starts growing back, because all of a sudden they had these sites that they could study, and it was an a horribly awful event with mm-hmm. that one little thing that came out of it that was positive. So, I'm not saying that that was a good thing, but on the upside, they went in, they studied all of these First Nations sites and they found so much information. So, if we could do archaeology like that on a massive scale in terms of climate change, who knows what we might learn. Yeah. But we have to get everybody on board.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um I, I don't know how much you can speak to it until you go to this, this conference, but mm. what's what is the pressure like, um, for you know, things like this? Like is there pressure like we need to get to like, you know, places closer to the equator before it gets too hot and things become, you know, yeah. flooded or uninhabitable or it ruins the the artifacts? Like is there a certain pressure on on museums, on, on archaeology, on, on research and scientists that to like make more, I want to say make more of an effort, but like really kind of go after it while you still can?
1: Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Because, I mean, in Canada, the the circumstances, of course, are different as well. Um, I think in Canada, at least, we're definitely starting to think about, you know, what are we going to do if we start to lose these sites and how can we anticipate when we're going to lose sites or lose sources of our heritage, and what are we going to do about that? So strategizing, but on a broad scale, I really don't know.
0: Yeah, is that what we're hoping to pick up when you go to this thing? Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna to have to get an update, do a whole thing on. <laughs> if I get there, what's going on? I have
1: to like maneuver my work schedule to make it work. So fingers crossed, but it's listen.
0: Really great. I like think I can do it. Laura's boss. Let's just <laughs> let's really think about this, and and give her a chance because she needs to update the rest of us who don't study I will museums. Play
1: my boss that clip specifically. Yeah, and isolate she it. I'll <laughs> sign you
0: a, a note, and because I'm so viable. But it, it just brings up just this broader point that a lot of people like museums, but they're mm-hmm. not completely invested in museums. Yeah, they're just they like going when they go. It's great. Blah blah blah. But it's just all this talk of our conversation just kind of goes to show the impact of how it, what it plays on our, our culture and our society. Mm -hmm. And like, there is an importance and we might lose a lot of it because of what we're doing to the planet and what we're doing to the arts and how we're changing things in the name of greed and profit and, and what else, whatever have you. Like, it's, it's just unfortunate. Um. And I would hate to see a world where, you know, kids grow up and and they don't have this. They're really only focused on YouTube, which terrifies me, (laughs) terrifies me that they're invested in YouTube. Yeah. I
1: mean, that's not even all the examples, right? Think of all the lighthouses we have in Canada that are slowly going to be eroded away. And that only gets worse when you have large scale storms. Like there are so many examples And I'm not necessarily the person to talk about it, I think.
0: You will be one day, though. Maybe. (laughs) But
1: in people who study the environment, they know these things are happening. We just need to listen to them.
0: Yeah. It's it's really weird that when you look at the science, Mm -hmm. it seems like most people that are intellectuals, that are scientists, that are researchers, that are quote-unquote people who study this are... Pretty all in consensus with the, the science. Oh yeah. But then you have like a politician who doesn't suit their interests. That just, you know, the, what was that? Oh, there was a quote: the new um, UN, ba- the the U.S. ambassador to Canada. Oh no. <laughs> on climate change was like, I believe in both sides of the science. But it's like what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that climate change is real. She believes in that science, but also believes in like the it's not real science. Um, I
1: don't know if you can do that.
0: Yeah, so that was that was going on. I think that was like yesterday or the day before. But it's just, you know, politi- People, corporations where it doesn't suit their needs can fund a study that says otherwise. Or oh, yeah. They can just throw something in social media and people like eat it all up. And you know, then there's a quote unquote debate about climate change. You're like, no.
1: Social media news like really frightens me because. I mean how many people I do this how many people don't actually click on the article when you read the title
0: Yeah I try right? to now and that's only I do if it's I've something like that like if I'm choosing to comment on it I make sure I read it I oh, think yeah. that like that's my general rule now and I because I've been burned on it a couple yeah. times um remember when Ottawa had that shooter I didn't um, live here at the no, time but
1: I do remember when it happened
0: But so anyways I thought I was helping by retweeting like everything about this okay and then you realize that that actually did a complete disservice to everything so i make sure when i retweet something that you know i i read the article to make sure i understand yeah just put it into perspective to me so because sometimes you'll see a headline and they do this on purpose that you read a headline and like you think you know this like the piece just by reading the headline and you read it and you're like Actually, the headline really didn't have that much to do with it. I read an article the other day that exactly had that. Yeah. It's was like, that was kind of a misleading title.
1: Yeah, no. Clickbait is real, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: you know, I can't speak about it too much, but it for sure is a real thing. Yeah. And I can promise you that. Um, if you were to speak to seven-year-old Laura, mm-hmm. young girl, spunky, passionate about museums, loves it.
1: Wearing the Anne of Green Gables hat with the fake (laughs) braids, just for the record.
0: I mean, what would you say, again, and it goes to my point that, you know, as a person on the outside, that it would seem that museums are less important um, to a lot of people and people aren't as interested maybe Mm -hmm. as before. Um, I could be wrong on that. I'm just going by my perception. What would you say to seven-year-old Laura, who's super excited about museums, and really loves it, and maybe people are telling you, like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? I'm not saying it happened to you, but just play the hypothetical with me. <laughs> but, like, you sure you want to do that? Like, are there jobs in that? Like, Ugh. how would you, what would you say to her to be like, you know, no. Like, follow your dreams, as corny and cheesy as that sounds.
1: I mean, to seven-year-old me, I would definitely say, like, keep going to museums and keep being interested. You know, you might be tired or you might not think it's your thing but just keep going and there will come a time when you are a teenager where you think museums maybe aren't as cool because your friends don't think they're as cool so you know what you want to do but you stop going because your friends don't want to do that stuff and you know seven year old me would be like yeah sure and then probably not listen to me now but (laughs) because i was that kind of kid but
0: but there was a young girl maybe experiencing this first love and then there's probably a girl who loves museums and her friends don't want to go and don't think it's cool
1: yeah and then you know seven-year-old me you'll eventually get to university that will happen and you're suddenly going to meet people who are huge nerds just like you they love the same things as you you have people to go to museums with if you want to you suddenly realize you can do these things on your own and you're an independent person and you'll rediscover that love for museums But like really, really stick with it because Mm -hmm. there are going to be people who say, how viable is this career path? Are you it always boils down to are you going to make enough money? And I think seven year old me needs to remember that that's not necessarily the most important thing, because there definitely was a time when I doubted whether I wanted to do this because I thought, oh, there might not be jobs and there might not be job security and I might not make enough money. That's whatever in the end I'll do what I have to do and maybe I'll have to work a second job but I at least want to like what I'm doing Mm -hmm. like I could never do something else it's
0: such a big thing and I experienced that in my industry too because you don't make a lot of money and it's like you really have to balance do I want to love what I do every day Um, yeah or do I want to experience just financial gain the whole thing and my fear and I I rip on it a lot but like (laughs) I never wanted to be like a monotonous robot who just worked nine to five at the doing spreadsheets and boring meetings all day and going home. And sure, I'm making 80, 90K a year and it's great. And I have all these awesome things outside of work. But like the majority of your life is spent at work. That's what people need to understand.
1: And I find what I do. I have never worked in a museum where I didn't find myself feeling fulfilled by the work that I'm doing. And Maybe that's personal, maybe I'm helping someone else out, maybe I'm you know working on an exhibit that the public is going to see, and that brings me you know joy and fulfillment, and that's what I want for sure, and I know that you know the job market is a little bit a little bit tenuous in museums, and maybe the pay isn't that great, but i don't I don't care. Mm-hmm. I really don't
0: <laughs> I think it's um just yeah, it's important like it's so much better to be happy with what you do. Because you are going to give that 110% and not even think twice about it. Like you are, if you have to work a long day, don't care. If you have to Mm -hmm. work on a weekend, don't care. If you, you know, have to go uh, like you, it doesn't feel like work. Like I I say that all the time. I can be here for 14 hours at, at my job. And you know what? Like, it's fine. Yeah, it really is fine. I'm not tired. I'm not like depressed about it. Like it's, I'm like, it's, having the time of my life. Yeah,
1: I did. I worked on an event this summer and I think I worked like so many days straight and I didn't take a weekend and I put in extra hours and it was so worth it when mm-hmm. we finally did this event and we pulled it off and people loved it. And I was like, I worked hard so that these people could enjoy what they're doing and that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So
0: I can see like the passion, like <laughs> floating there. Um, Finally before we wrap it up, yeah what, what like what's a plea to person I don't want to say it's a plea you're not desperate, but like <laughs> give like one final thing on why people who don't maybe don't like museums or don't necessarily go as much anymore why they should be going, why it's important what what what's like the message that you tell your friends or people you meet that like fires them up like rah rah, let's go to the museum right now. I don't know if you have a speech prepared, but...
1: I don't have a speech prepared, but I will do my best. Um, People have this idea of museums in their head and what it's going to be like when they get there. And often I find that people's assumptions about museums are wrong. So you're not just walking in silence, reading text panels, and maybe looking at something that's old and dusty. Like, there's so much to interact with and... You know, if if you talk about the four learning types, there's something for everyone in a museum environment. They cater to people who are kinesthetic learners. They cater to people who like to read text and look at things. They're not these stuffy, quiet, uptight, rich people institutions anymore. So you can go as an individual and have a good time. You can go with your friends if you are a parent or you... You know, have little cousins. You can take kids to museums, and if they're running around having a great time being loud, nobody cares. They're having a great time, and museums want to encourage that to have people come in and enjoy themselves. So, if you think that you're going to go to go to a museum and you're not going to enjoy yourself, and it's going to be sort of this like really, I guess, niche experience, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised by what they actually have to offer. And if you're really unsure, in Ottawa, at least, a lot of the national museums do, um, I think it's Thursday nights where you can yeah, go for I wanted free. I to get
0: to that. Like, I'm pretty sure Thursday nights for the most part.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, one of my favorite times to go because there's so many people there who are having a fantastic time and it's really personable and you're interacting with lots of people and it's not super quiet. You're having, you know, this shared cultural experience. So if you really aren't sure about going, go on one of those nights when it's not going to cost you anything and you can just do what you want to do at your own pace. Um, yeah, I just, I really, really want people to go to museums. There's a lot of work that goes into them as well. There's so much work mm-hmm. behind an exhibit that when you go, you're really validating the person who worked so hard for that.
0: Mm-hmm. There you have it, folks. Go <laughs> to museums. Go to museums, please. Yeah. Um, Is there any places that people can see your work, follow your work, follow you? Anything you'd like to give a little bit of a plug to?
1: Oh, do I have plugs? No. I mean, I have an Instagram, but I don't post on it very much. Um, Just
0: go to museums, everybody.
1: Yeah, just go to museums. That's really all I want you to do. (laughs) Even if I haven't worked at them, um, just go to museums. Have a great time. And then share your pictures on things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, There's tons of museum hashtags. Hashtag museum is a really great one. Um, I'm often on that tag because I like to see what other people are doing. So share those experiences with other people.
0: Is it it an active tag? Fairly, yeah. Oh, I'm so going to use that then on this one. Um, I ate a bug at a museum on which? Oh,
1: how was that? I had a
0: barbecued cricket. How's that? which I've had crickets before. Um, okay. they're just pretty like airy and and
1: I was gonna say I feel like they'd just be like like dry
0: <laughs> um, the only thing is like you always have to pick their legs out of your teeth. yeah um, and then I had a mealworm.
1: oh uh, yeah the, no was, I wouldn't go there the
0: Cheddar flavored um kind of tasted like a cheesy. yeah you
1: know I don't know if I'd be into that yeah.
0: but um, sea
1: museums do weird things
0: yeah yeah that's the only place I've ever eaten bugs. I, I've also had a beetle there before. How was that? That was a little more juicy. Oh, it wasn't very gross. good. I didn't like it very much. But
1: I, I don't know. Anytime <laughs> I think about someone eating bugs, I just get that scene from The Lion King.
0: Yeah, it wasn't that. It wasn't that juicy. But
1: no, I just can't. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm afraid of big bugs too. So that's the mealworm was fine. <laughs> um, so check out museums, please. Um, absolutely. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Life and Red Podcast on Twitter, Life in Red Pod lifeinredpodcast.com. Laura Van Zant. thank you so much for coming in.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Bye, everybody. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.